Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. All right, good morning, Mercy family. Good morning, good morning. Hey, I want to say, add on my own congratulations to Pastor Derek Smith, our newest pastor elder here at Mercy Church. Thank you guys so much for um, you members for participating in that vote. We are um, so thankful for Pastor Derek and his family up there at Northeast. I also want to say um, happy Martin Luther King Jr. weekend to everyone. Uh, this is a special weekend for me because it's the only, uh, I guess, federal holiday set aside in honor of a pastor. And so I try to read every year his letter from a Birmingham jail because, man, Dr. King had this vision, but it wasn't like it came from him. It was a Revelation 7 vision. Right, This dream where every people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, man, it's that they would gather around the throne of Jesus, worshiping together. And I know you probably felt it, man, our country's in a difficult spot because we want to experience, the, the country at large wants to experience the unity that Dr. King talked about without the power of God that makes it happen. Right, And so our country tries to, like the broader culture, tries to kind of force diversity, equity, and inclusion onto us, but without the power of God to change the heart. And man, mankind, we just can't change the heart. Only God can change the heart. And Dr. King knew that was possible only under the name of Jesus. That's why one of our core values here, we talk about, we want to pursue multicultural unity, but we want to do so under the name of Jesus, right? We want to see the kingdom of heaven come on earth as it is in heaven, I should say. Dr. Loritz, last fall, preached from Ephesians 2, talking about how this vision, right, of unity, it's not a secular American thing, it's a gospel thing. It's a kingdom of Jesus thing. So we kind of had a little uh, discussion with our elders, some of our staff, like, man, what if this year, kind of in honor of, in pursuit of that vision, you try to invite someone from, each one of us, try to invite someone from a different cultural background than you, invite them to your dinner table. Joe, I, th- I don't think the kingdom of heaven is going to come and the church is going to look like it until our dinner tables look like it, right? So maybe we start there. And when I say different cultural background, that may mean someone from a different race, but maybe not. Let me explain. If you're white and you're from Brooklyn, New York, and you're white and you're from Gastonia, North Carolina, <laughs> you are from very different cultures, okay? You probably need a translator who's like from Virginia or something that can help kind of figure things out, right? Well, let's do that. Let's pursue that together, have dinner around our tables. Maybe that's a part of your 2024 discipleship plan. And that might require, it probably requires a little relational capital. Uh, so I, I would say maybe maybe don't invite a total stranger into this first. Uh, basically, I don't want our majority church members bombarding minority members who, don't, who you don't really know. 
right, with invites, and then you get upset when they don't say yes to the 20 invites they got or something like that. Instead, let's just try and, with those we know, take a next step. And I would say put that on your, um, put that on your plan for 2024. With that said, man, we got such a, a fun, I'm excited for this message that we have in the book of Colossians. So if you have your Bible, make your way over to the New Testament book of Colossians. We're going to talk about Jesus today. I mean, shocker, you came to church. I hope that's what you're expecting, but that's going to be the big idea. Um, today, chapter one, we're picking up where we left off last week. If you missed last week, no worries. We're kind of just going to take the first seven weeks of the year and walk through the book of Colossians together over in the New Testament. And the main idea of the series comes from the passage we're going to look at today. All right. And it's the main idea is simply this, Jesus before all things. What I told you is that we in the Bible Belt were so good at putting Jesus among all things. If you're newer to the Bible Belt, I promise you will start to see it. It'll show up in things like, you'll hear this phrase, bless your heart, all right? That's Christianese for you dummy, okay? That's what they're saying to you. We're good at kind of pulling Jesus and Christian language into all, the, but we're very good at bringing Jesus among all things, kind of creating, carving out a little spot on the bookshelf for Jesus, but that's not what Jesus came to be. He didn't come to be among all things in your life. He came to be before and over in first place in all things in your life. So we're going to explore over our series why it's good for us that Jesus is first place in everything before all things. And we're going to talk in our series about what keeps us from putting him first place. But today, today I want today to kind of be the, it's the title track of the Colossians album, if you will. Colossians 1, 15 through 23, we're just going to look at Jesus. The title of the sermon today is Jesus, okay? We're going to look at him. Our writer, the Apostle Paul, paints this powerful picture of who he is. And so for our time in God's word today, I just want my prayer is that we would see Jesus for just a little more of who he is. I hope it's worshipful for you Christians here today, that it fills your heart with who your savior is, all in thankfulness at who he is. If you're not a Christian, man, we're so glad that you're here. We always, I always wanna say welcome and thank you for being here. It is not an easy thing to come to church. I get that, right? It's a big deal. So I just wanna say, I think God brought you here. It's okay if you don't believe that, all right? I believe it. And I hope that today, I guess what I can say is you picked a good Sunday, all right? Because we're going to show you who Jesus is. He's the one at the center of our faith. And we're just going to talk about him. And my hope for you is you will consider Jesus and just see where things go from there. The title is Jesus. I'm going to say Jesus more than Kanye says, Jesus in a song. Okay, I'm going to talk about him a lot. And it's just going to be in walking through this passage. And I was trying to think, man, how do I structure this sermon so that it's digestible? Because the passage is just like, wow. And like, well, I could go the good old Baptist preacher route and have three points all alliterated, right? All starting with the same letter. But in the case of this passage, it's just not worthy of Jesus, in my opinion. We need a big Jesus. We got big problems, got big things in our lives, and we need a big Savior, need a big Jesus. And Paul stretches the very limits of the human language talking about Jesus, and I want to do my level best to honor that. So this sermon has 11 points, okay? That's what we're about to do together. Now, if you're a seminary student, 
you're like, wait a minute, that's not what you're supposed to do. Look, hey, Jack, you just need to do what I say, not what I do right here, okay? And just or do what your professors say. We got 11 points. 10 of them are about Jesus. One's about you. So buckle up. Uh, there's a discipleship guide that you should have. Remember, I told you last week they were coming, our discipleship plan. There's a spot for sermon notes in there. You can take sermon notes uh, there. But let's get ready. We start in verse 15. Now, the first 15 through 20, that's actually where we're going to spend most of our time. They might look, if you're looking at your Bible, a little, and don't worry if you're not, I got, I'll have the words on the screen. We got Bibles for you. We'd love to give you one on your way out. But those five verses might look a little bit different, like kind of like a poem in your Bible. Most believe that this is a, a hymn or a song, probably written by Paul to kind of help get across who Jesus is in a way that the Colossian church could remember, because let's face it, this is a, just preacher reality. Songs are sermons that people actually remember, right? You play them back, you sing them, stuff like that. And it was true for me. And so I think that many think this is why he wrote it the way he did, but it is packed. And most of our, of our points come from this. And each point is just going to be, this is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. All right. So we start in verse 15. You guys ready? Yeah. yeah. He is the image of the invisible God. All right, stop. This is a big statement. Big statement. Paul repeats this idea in verse 19. So I'm going to bring it together here in verse 15. He says, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus. This is big. The image of the invisible God, fullness of God in him. What's Paul saying? Feels big, feels important. The, um, the gospel of John, the first chapter, sheds a little light on this to help us out. In verse 18, John says, no one has ever seen God. The one and only son, listen, underlined and highlighted, who is himself God and is at the father's side. He, Jesus, has revealed him, God. So he is, Jesus is the image of God. That means he is how God has revealed himself to mankind. Which is why Matthew 11, 27 says, no one knows the father except through the son because God has chosen to reveal himself to the world through Jesus. That's our first point. Jesus is God visible to us. Y'all, this is central to the Christian faith. He is not merely a good teacher. He is not merely a miracle worker. The Christian faith says clearly, clearly and emphatically, Jesus is God. So if you want to know God, here's why it starts to matter for us. If you want to know God, you're here today because you're on a search for knowing God. Maybe you've been walking with God for, you, you want to, for a long time and you want to know more of him. If you want to know God in his kindness, God has answered that search. And he's answered it in the person of Jesus. Why does this matter? Y'all, the search for God beats in the heart of every human. It does. We don't all know how to articulate it, but that's what is happening there. It's beating in the heart of every human. We want to know his love because we want to be loved. We want to know his plans and purposes for our lives because we want to know that there is a plan and purpose to our lives. We want the security of knowing that something happens after we die. We want to know God, but at the same time in every heart, we want to control God. So we want to know him, but we also kind of want to control him. We want to be the kind of God that we want him to be. Right, which is why you think about the first two commandments, Exodus 20. The first one, I am the Lord your God, have no other gods but me. But then the second one, right behind it, you shall have no, make for yourself no graven or false images of God. In other words, you worship only him and you worship him as he reveals himself to be, not as you think he is. 
Worship who he is, not who you think he is. Let me maybe help you land this point because it's so important for us. This same concept's true in any relationship. Any counselor, we've got a lot of great ones here at Mercy Church, will agree that one of the most destructive things you can do in a relationship is imagine who that person is instead or who you want them to be instead of listening to who they say they are. You project onto that person, you imagine onto that person who you would like them to be, right? And then you never listen to who they actually are. This is so common in marriage. About five to 10 years into marriage, a common problem is someone realizing that they married a mental image of someone they had in mind instead of the actual person that they're married to. You should, you have this idea of what they should be, right? This is who you should be and conflict stirs up when they don't live up to who you think they should be. Why do we do that? Well, the counseling answer is going to be that we have this need for control. The Bible's answer is sin. Like we try to manipulate the world around us to be pleasing to us and be controlled by us. And man, it just, that corrupts every relationship. Imagining someone who they should, who we think they should be instead of who they are. And it corrupts our relationship with God. Which is why there's a commandment and devoted entirely to not imagining God to who you think he should be. It's destructive to your relationship with him. It's sin. Instead, we got to worship God as who he reveals himself to be. And in his kindness, he has revealed himself. He's revealed himself in Jesus, which is why Hebrews 1.3 says, Jesus is the exact representation of God. You want to know God? Know Jesus. And here's what's so great, y'all. If you'll focus your view of God, you got that search, I want to know God. If you'll focus that onto Jesus, you'll actually find a God who is better than the one you were imagining. He's actually more satisfying, more fulfilling than whatever image of God you've kind of conjured up and saying, I want my, like Ricky Bobby, you know, my Jesus is like this or my Jesus is like that, right? No, instead, if you will see God for who he has revealed himself to be in Jesus, man, you'll find a more satisfying God and a more satisfying relationship with God and peace that passes all understanding in a way you never would in your own imaginative version of God. That's our first point. Look, it keeps going. Verse 15. And yeah, verse 15, firstborn over all creation. He was not only before all creation in time, but is also over it. Every word here matters. A couple of verses later in verse 17, He's going to say, he is before all things. He comes first. But as we said last week, not only is he before the foundation of the world, and maybe that alone is surprising for some of you, I recognize. Like some of you are newer to the Bible and you thought Jesus arrived on the scene in the New Testament. No, he existed eternally before all things. He's outside of time and space and reigns over all creation. That's why he uses the word over. He reigns over it. Over is about his supremacy over all creation. Yes, he existed before creation, but he's also firstborn in terms of rank. He's first. He's the one on high. First place. That's our next point. It's the main point of the whole series. Number two, Jesus is before all things. Jesus is God, visible to us. Jesus is before all things. Before anything else was, he was. And not just that he was, but he still is. And always will be. 
He's before all things, reigning over everything, was and is. Now, okay, I want to clarify something really quick, but to do so, I'm going to take you on about a 90-second to two-minute little theological nugget journey, but that's what you came to church for, is to learn about God. So pull up your big boy, big girl pants and listen up. Paul is not saying God created Jesus, okay? Because if God created Jesus, then Jesus would not be God, but would instead be a creation of God, which would undo everything he just said about who Jesus is as God. In fact, there was a controversy over this way back in the fourth century where a guy named Arius said verses like these show that Jesus is a created being from God who's not created. And in response, the general consensus of the church was that Jesus is God the Son, eternally begotten by God the Father. They are the same, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all the same in substance, but different in persons. And different persons play different roles. It was written down, the Nicene Creed, right? And so if you, all right, now, theological nugget over with. If you go, whoa, that, I don't quite understand that. Well, first of all, I think that's probably pretty good that you and I can't grasp all of God, okay? There's a, there's a gap, right? And it's okay. I don't want you to know. That's why we gather together to continue to want to know more of God and why the great thing about the Bible is that the, it's the living and active word of God. So if you want to know more of him, understand more of that relationship, just spend time in the word, Right? Spend time in the word, humbling yourself, knowing that it's good, that you can't understand all of God. All right, verse 16. For everything, everything was created by him in heaven and on earth. Watch this. The visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him. The next thing we see about Jesus, I think, should just cause us to humble ourselves. Number three in our in our sermon here, Jesus is the creator of all things. Man, he is God. He is before all things. He's the creator of all things. Y'all, this is so cool to me. All right, Genesis 1, the Bible says that God spoke creation into existence. Like he said, let there be light. And there was light, which is an interesting way to create when you start to think about it. Like, why not just do it? Think it, and it'd be so. Why not fashion it by some other means? Why use words? Well, John 1, back to the opening chapter of the book of John, says, this is awesome. He kind of helps us understand it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word is Jesus, Right, right there at the beginning, if you see the bridge that John is building from Jesus to creation, you walk along that bridge from Genesis 1, from John 1 to Genesis 1, on the other side, you see that Jesus is there at creation and he's the agent of creation. And then Paul pulls back the curtain of reality in our verse here and reminds us there is an unseen realm that exists alongside all this seen creation. And that, I, I get it, man. If you're newer to church, the idea that there's this unseen, invisible realm might feel a little sci-fi to you, but you read the scriptures and it becomes clear. And you walk through life just a little bit and it becomes clear there's more at work than just the natural world. And Jesus not only created the unseen and the seen, he created the thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities that reign over them. One name created all the universe and all that reigns over it and everything is under him and his name is Jesus. Now, why does this matter to you? If he created all that, 
And sometimes I think he created all that just so that we could look up and see how small we are. He created, created all that. And he also created you. Then the best way to live is going to be to live as he calls you to live. Right? If he created all that, then the best way to live is as he calls you to live because he's the creator. He designed you. He formed you. And what I love is the one, who, the, the Bible says the one who made the cosmos and made you, man, he treasures you and loves you. He loves you. He loves you and he values you and he wants you to walk with him. Will you walk with your creator as he has revealed himself to be and as he has created you to walk? Look at verse 16. All things have been created through him. And then it says, and for him. Last part of verse 16. Here, Paul tells us he's not just the agent of creation, but he himself is the reason for creation. The reason he put everything into existence was Jesus for his glory. The end goal of the universe is to exist under his rule and reign. All things exist to serve him and to contribute to his glory. And sure enough, Revelation tells us that's how it's all going to end. So here's our next point, point four. Jesus is the purpose of creation. The purpose of creation. Jesus, here's a way to say it. He does not exist for your glory or my glory. You were created for him and for his glory. So take it out of the clouds. Why does this matter for you? You will never be satisfied if you are living for where yourself is the chief end of life. Does that make sense? Where your legacy, your bank account, your family tree, your name on a list and picture on a wall somewhere. You'll never be satisfied if you're living for your glory. Why? You're not created for that. You're just not created for it, which is why when you do live for it, and I'll tell you, man, just talk to some folks that have had a little bit of success. Talk to some folks that are just a little bit older, they've had some success, they've gotten some of the things that they hustled for, and they will tell you that feeling of satisfaction there is fleeting. It's fleeting. The satisfaction's fleeting, so what do you have to do? You gotta keep glory seeking. You gotta keep going and looking for more. We're about to, you know, here in a, what, three, four weeks, we'll have a Super Bowl champion. And what'll come out, I mean, that night or the next morning will be the list of next year's Super Bowl favorites. So you enjoy it for about 60 seconds, and then we're on to the next thing, because glory is that fleeting. Y'all, that kind of glory doesn't last because you and I were not created, hear me, to be glorified, for glory to be put onto us or for us to put it onto ourselves. We as created, as humans, are created to glorify, not to be glorified. We are created to worship, not to be worshiped. So you actually flourish when you direct glory and attention away from yourself, not toward yourself. Where? Onto Jesus, who is the purpose of creation. Does that make sense? All right, four points in. You're doing great, okay? Really, I'm really proud of everybody. We're rocking through this. Let's keep going. On to verse 17. Oh man, he is before all things, and by him, 
all things hold together. He's the firstborn of creation. He's the agent of creation. He's the purpose of creation. But here's point five. He's the sustainer of creation. He is the unifying principle and personal sustainer of everything. The way one theologian I read said it, he is the principle of cohesion that keeps the cosmos from becoming chaos. Without him, electrons would not circle the nuclei. Gravity would cease to work and planets would fall out of orbit. But then take it out of the solar system and put it into your life. If this is true, then things are only going to make sense when Jesus is at the center. This is why one of our values, our first and chief ministry values, we keep the gospel at the center of all we do because Jesus is already there. (laughs) He's already at the center holding all things together. And we aim to put him in our lives where he exists everywhere, holding everything together. And y'all, there is, this is where I found relief this week in studying. There is great hope for you in this Bible, in the Bible saying that Jesus holds all things together, all things together, because it means, hear me, it means you don't have to. You don't have to hold all things together. It's not your job. Jesus is the sustainer. He's the one that holds all things together, which means, oh my goodness, you can let that mantle, just, you can put it down at the feet of Jesus. I see this, um, I guess my up close and personal view of this outside of myself has been my wife and watching her be a mom. And I know her kind of feelings and experience similar to a lot of moms. You feel this mantle of needing to be like the most attentive parent who fixes the most nutritious meals, whose kids never misbehave, who pays attention to her husband and who looks great while doing all of that, right? And there's that feeling of, I got to hold it all together, Look, all of those are, are good things. They're worthy of striving for, yes. But can you receive this truth that Jesus loves you and he's not asking you to do his job? He holds all things together. And this is the greatest. You are one of those things that he holds together. And so when we put him first before all things, he actually holds us, even our very hearts, together. Verse 18. He's also the head of the body the church. Here's our next one. Point six, Jesus is the head of the church, the sustainer of all things and the head of the church. You come to, if you're to come to Mercy's membership class, we'll talk about how our church is structured. You know, things like uh, how do we make decisions? What's authority in our church, everything else. But the first thing we're going to say is that we are a Jesus ruled church. He is in charge. Pastor Spence is not the head of the church. That's very important. I'm the lead pastor here, yes, but not the chief shepherd. Jesus is. I'm a shepherd entrusted with leadership under him, just as the rest of our elders are. He's the head, we're all the body. And this metaphor is intentional, y'all, so that we will understand our relationship to God. He gives us this metaphor of the body, right? Look, the body does what the head tells it to do, right? The arm doesn't do anything that... The head doesn't tell it to do. In fact, if the arm does anything other than what the head tells it to do, there's a problem. Like if you're standing around and without any knowledge, your arm is flailing about and you have not told it to flail about like this and it is just doing it, that's a problem, right? Like everybody around you is going to say, you are not well. Something is wrong. And all the doctors are going to say, something is wrong. Let's try and fix it, right? The arm 
doesn't tell the brain what to do. The brain tells the arm what to do. Likewise, and maybe a bigger problem with this being a metaphor for the church, is the head telling the arm to move, and the arm doesn't do anything. The arm just stays there, idly attached to the body, but not moving as the head has called it to move. If you are in Christ, you are a part of the body. That's just what he said. So my question, maybe like a write down thing in your notes to go and consider is what is the head? What is Christ calling you to do? I'm talking to everybody. Look, teenager, just because you're 13, 14, 15, if you're in Christ, you do not have a JV Holy Spirit, okay? You have the Holy Spirit who has given you a gift. And if you're thinking, is God just calling me to just kind of sit around the church, his body? No, these are your years to learn to serve as a part of the body so that you don't add to what I think is a real problem in the Bible Belt Church, which is a whole lot of Christians just sitting around, idly attached to the body when God has given them a purpose, a gift, a ministry, and a mission for them to be on and for us to do it together. So get onto a serve team. You know, maybe if you're tall enough, go serve on the parking team. If not, look, it's crazy out there. So I don't I want to be able, people to be able to see you, okay? But I, I want you to go find somewhere that you can serve, get into student ministry, all of us. Let's get off the sidelines and serve. However, let's respond to the head who is Christ. Keep going. Verse 18, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Oh, I love this. We said this a little bit last week. He's not just the beginning in terms of creation, but he's the new beginning. Paul's saying he's the first one to rise from the dead and stay risen. Because some of y'all be like, but what about Lazarus? Didn't Lazarus? Yes, Lazarus rose from the dead. Jesus brought him back from the dead, but then he died again. Tough stuff for Lazarus. Had to do it twice, okay? <laughs> like, that's not the case with Jesus, all right? Talking about first one to rise and stay risen, okay? And I do what there's a promise in here, and all of Christianity hinges on this. The same guy, Paul, our writer, said, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, oh my goodness, then we Christians are to be most pitied of all people. So if you're not a Christian and you're here engaging with us, this is the question that you need to ask. Did he rise from the dead? Because if he didn't, please don't waste your time. Like we're to be pitied, we're fools. But the promise is, if he did rise from the dead, not only is that validate that he is God, go back to our first point, but it also, he is the firstborn, which means we too will rise from the dead and spend eternity with him, living, worshiping, flourishing. So here's our next point. Jesus is the resurrected savior. He's firstborn, we're next. That's so powerful for the Christian because I got a few short years here on earth those are nothing compared to the eternity that awaits me. It means I can endure here today, Romans 8, because I know that that day is coming. And my present sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in me. It means I can miss out on things here because there's nothing here that can compare with what's coming on that day. If you're not a Christian, this is what we want you to consider. Did he rise from the dead? If he did, he's God. If he's not, he's a fool. There's no in-between, though. He doesn't leave you that option. The in-between option that he's just a good teacher is something that mankind concocted along the way to try not to deal with whether or not he's really God. Either he's God or he's not. 
Verse 18. Why did he do that? So that he might come to have first place in everything. It's the aim of our series, putting Jesus first in everything. He rose from the grave and he kept going. He ascended to the Father and sat down as the resurrected king. This is point eight, our next point. Jesus is the resurrected king. He's the king. The resurrected savior is the resurrected king. You're not the king. I'm not the king. You don't have first place. I don't have first place. Jesus is the king, and he says he has first place in everything. And by the way, he doesn't need your permission to have that place. He is first. He is the king. He invites you to put him first place in your life, which is where he already exists in the universe. And you experience. Why? What's your part of that? You get to experience the blessing of having him first place. Keep going. We're going to go here through the next few verses. By the way, that was point eight. You guys are doing great. I only got a couple more, and we're to the finish line of this awesome passage. All right, here we go. Verse 19, we already picked up um, in verse 15, but it's the start of a new sentence, and it helps set up what he's going to say, okay? So here we go. Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus, and through him, again, Jesus, to reconcile everything to himself, God whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace, how? Through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed by your evil actions. That's us. But now, oh, he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death. And pause there. I'll tell you the next one. Jesus is the great reconciler. Y'all, there exists a need for God to be reconciled to his creation. If you knew that word reconciliation, this just means it's a conflict that's resolved in such a way that the two parties that were in conflict are now at peace with each other. That's the last part of that verse there. Reconciled. Things are in harmony again. Not just that the fight is over. That'd be like a stalemate but that the relationship is restored. The gospel says that sin is when you and I betray, look at verse 21, you're alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in evil actions. Sin is when we betray the God who made us. We create that break in the relationship. Like your friend betrays you. Now you two are not okay if that happens. You can't just pretend, well, you shouldn't just pretend like everything's okay, not until the hurt is repaired. And for that to happen, the friend's got to acknowledge what they've done and you've got to forgive. The same is true in your relationship with God. You sinned against him. I sinned against him. You betrayed him. And justice has to be carried out for betrayal. We need a God who is just. We don't want a God who is unjust. So God says the penalty of sin is death. We sinned against an infinite, holy God. We betrayed the king by siding with the enemy. That's why Paul uses that language, hostile. So our penalty is death. And until the penalty is paid, the nature of our relationship, the status of our relationship with God is enemy. We need to be reconciled. The problem is the cost is too much. If we pay the price, we're done for. So instead of God receiving your life or mine as payment for sin, in an act of love, he sends Jesus. 
so that instead of you dying and being gone for all eternity, no, he reconciles you. Jesus pays for your sin by shedding his blood on the cross. See that, what's what that language there in 22? And the result is, what does it say? Peace. Peace between you and God. If you'll just turn and receive the salvation he offers. In a little bit, we're going we're gonna to take communion together. And what we're doing right there is we're taking the meal that Christ gave that reflects these verses that are talking about how he shed his blood, his body and blood instead of yours. And not only does this make peace between you and God, he redeems you. Look at the rest of 22. To present you. Why did he do that? Oh, to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. Oh, what peace, what joy, man, should create all in us. Here's point 10. Jesus is our redeemer. I want you to go in your mind's eye to a courtroom. God's the judge. Here you are standing before him. God's looking at the list of the sins in your life, and they are too many to count. The ones you've done, the ones you've thought, too many to count. And those are just the ones from last week, right? We need to take and go longer. And Jesus steps in and says to God, the judge, I offer to trade my, my list of sins with this one's. She gets my record and I get hers. Therefore, she gets my consequence and I get hers. And God the judge says, let it be so. And now his record is yours, but your record is now what his was. Perfect, holy, faultless, blameless. So you stand before God with his record and he says, go. You're free. Your sins have been taken from you and put onto him. You're free. You're redeemed. So walk free. Receive grace. Come walk with me, y'all. God, the creator, the sustainer, the purpose, the resurrected savior, king, and redeemer extends redemption to you today. And the question is just, will you receive it? Will you receive it? Leads me to the one sermon point about you, our last one for today. Verse 23. All this is yours, holy, faultless, blameless before him, if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. The gospel's been proclaimed and all creation under heaven and I, Paul, become a servant of it. Your response, my response, is to remain steadfast and grounded in the faith not shifted away from the hope of the gospel, not shifted by the things that we wish God was and he's not, not shifted by the desires and temptations of the world around us, but instead remaining steadfast and grounded. How do we do that? Well, let me use the language from last week to make it really simple. We abide in Jesus. That's the only thing for you today. Abide in Jesus. And what that means, that if you're newer to the Bible and everything, Jesus said this in the Gospel of John. He said, abide, which means make your home in. Stay close to. Abide in him. How do you do that? That's why we gave you that discipleship plan. Um, it's just one tool that we gave you in that plan. You're going to work this week with your community group. Just to go through some regular, how can you build some regular rhythms where you just open up God's word, read about Jesus, because the whole Bible's about him. I hope you saw that today. 
Spend time praying and talking with him. He is listening. Scripture tells us that in Christ, you have access to the throne of grace who will always help you in your time of need. Stay close to him. That's just daily worship. And as you do, man, you'll remain grounded and steadfast. You stay close to Jesus, I promise you'll remain grounded and steadfast. I believe it all the more if you do it in community with others. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to pray to close out our sermon time and pray over you. And then our campus pastors there at Northeast and at Union County are going to lead us in taking communion. And I'm going to lead us here at Providence Road. And we're just going to respond to the great hope that we have in Christ. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your grace on us. I want to give you the chance to respond to God even now before we transition to communion. Before any of the elements are passed out or anything like that, I just want you to take a moment there in the quietness of your own heart to respond to God. Maybe you need to give your life to Christ. It's a very common thing, especially on days where we take communion together. These are days where you're confronted with, do I believe or not? Did he rise from the grave or not? If you've never turned from your sin and you're still in that space, as Paul said, of hostile to God, there are no fans of Christ. They're either followers or enemies. And if you're in that space where you're realizing, yeah, I've never become a follower. I'm just over here hostile to God. I invite you to receive his redemption today. You can pray a simple prayer. God, I believe Jesus died for my sins. That courtroom scene, I believe, I believe it. He died for my sins. So I receive his forgiveness, his record. I received that today. I believe he rose from the dead, giving me new life. And so in response, I give my life to him. He's the king and he's my king. Christian, you just respond in worship. I hope your heart has been lifted into who Jesus is. Respond in worship. Thank you, Jesus, for holding things together. Thank you, Jesus, for creating me with purpose. Thank you, Jesus, for redeeming me. You tell him, thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you, our God, our purpose our creator, our sustainer, our redeemer and savior. Thank you. May we walk close to you, our reconciler. Thank you that we can walk close with you. Help us to abide in you because we know fruit comes out of that. We praise you in Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take communion together. Our teams are going to come and they're going to start passing out um, elements. If you're not a Christian, please don't take these elements. Uh, These are because everybody that takes it, scripture tells us they're testifying to what they believe. And so if you don't believe it, it would actually be kind of drinking and eating judgment on yourself, scripture says. Instead, I want you to consider the message these elements represent. 
And that's simply this. The scripture says the bread represents Christ's body and the cup represents his blood. And he gathered with the disciples and he had a meal with them the night before he was killed where he said, I want you to take this meal and over and over, take this meal remembering me until the day that we eat it together in glory. And so that's what the church does. We remember Christ through taking this meal. So I, what I'm gonna do is as our team passes out these elements, I'm gonna put you back in there, ask you to go back into that posture of prayer. We've got some time as the elements are passed out. I just want you to respond to the Lord. Maybe it's sin you need to confess and receive that redemption and reconciliation afresh today. Maybe it's just like a, a life dominating struggle, a burden. And it's just, it's got your heart and mind right now. And you need to take that mantle and put it onto the one that holds all things together. Whatever that is, I wanna give you space to do that. You hold on to those elements when you get them. And then I'll come up and I'll lead us through taking these elements together. So you pray and respond as God leads you.